Romans chapter 8. I want to round this up and do one more piece on the ministry of the Spirit for Christian life and living. Romans chapter 8. Instead of just reading, we've looked at con- no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Then we've looked at no separation, and in between is our walk with Christ. So if you just then, just for time's sake, just let your eye run down to verse 11. But if the Spirit of him, notice the capital S, the Holy Spirit, but if the Spirit of him that raised Jesus up, raised up Jesus, pardon me, from the dead, dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit, that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature has made, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man saith, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now keep your Bible open for we will be referring to more than that portion also in that chapter. Let's just pray again. Father, will you settle us in our hearts and our minds? in our spirit. And now, Father, will you settle us even in our seats this morning? And we pray that, Lord, or this morning be over, that we will be reassured and assured 
of who we are in your son, of our salvation that's completely of you. And Lord, that we will be strong in the faith, but your son would be glorified in everything. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you know we've looked at uh, salvation in verse 3. We'll not go through it again. How Christ has saved us, condemned the law that condemned us. And then we looked at sanctification in verse 9 and verse 10. And the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So we've looked at sanctification, life in the ministry of the Spirit and the life of the Christian is to sanctify you. It's to set you apart for Jesus that you and I will be different than the world. And then when we get into verse 11, we look at resurrection. That's what we want to look at for a few minutes, resurrection. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Paul's telling us here that if you're a born-again Christian, that there'll come a time whether your body goes to the ground or whether you're still alive at the coming of Christ, this body that we have, this body that's failing us as years get on, this body that gets sore or tired or whatever, this body will be changed. Will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I would advise you to read the whole chapter for a devotional reading at home. But let's run down to verse 51. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, notice the language. Paul says, the word sleep is, we shall not all die. Now, we're going to die if Christ doesn't come back soon. If he doesn't come in time for our death, that appointed day of death, then we'll find that we will die. But what Paul is saying is, at the coming of Christ, there'll be those who are alive and in Christ. So we shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed. Notice, in the moment. Now, notice we will be changed in a moment. People put it to a secret rapture will be, this is coming in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The Bible doesn't say that. It says we shall be changed in a moment. The change is in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. In other words, in an atom of time, like the blink of an eye, we will be changed in the moment. In the twinkling of an eye. And when is it? At the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. I notice what Paul's saying here. Those of our loved ones who have went on in Christ, they're going to be raised from the dead. My loved ones who have died in Christ, I'm going to see them again. They're going to be raised from the dead. Now, I notice what it says here, for the corruptible, the body that is, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So if you and I are going to enter the kingdom of God when Christ returns as a glorified body of Christ, we can't enter in with these bodies of death. We can't enter in with bodies that are weak. And Christ, when he died on the cross, he paid for our full salvation, our whole redemption, 
Remember, I think it was the first part one, spirit, soul, and body. He bought us all. He owns your body. That's why we are to, uh, we are to, to sacrifice, be a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Our bodies are owned by Christ. They will be changed at that time. The corruptible shall be changed to the incorruptible. Verse 53, for, 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. In other words, we're going to regain what Adam lost in the garden. Paradise lost when Adam sinned will be paradise regained when Christ returns. All of who are in Christ will be paradise regained. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? So at the coming of Christ, you and I who are in Christ, the dead in Christ will rise and you and I who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord, but we will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Now notice this, no more death. The only other death you'll read about is at the lake of fire, which is the second death at the second resurrection of the dead outside of Christ. And that's the only other death you'll read of. There's no more death when Christ returns. And notice what he says, the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Now we're going back to, remember Romans chapter 8, and our salvation, Christ condemning that which was condemning us in the flesh. And there's our body of dying, decaying flesh. Uh, we, we were sinners, the law looks at us. You're a sinner, you're a sinner, points to us, you're a sinner. And it's our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We realize we're sinners. And because it's our schoolmaster, it's leading us, it's pointing us, it's teaching us that we need a savior, but points us to Christ who alone can save. So then when Christ enters our life, when, he, when we receive Christ as savior and his payment on the crosses for our payment, of our penalty of sin. The strength of the sin is the law. That strength is no longer prevailing over us. The sting of that sin is death. So we have the law. Its strength is sin. The sin brings death. Death brings eternal damnation. So you see the downward, uh, if you want to call it the downward decline of things. But in Christ, he steps in and he brings us upward. He takes us from the grip. That's why then the apostle says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. So you're victorious this morning already. You're seated in Christ in heavenly places. You're an heir of God if you're in Christ. So you already have the victory over this sin. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you notice this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, many of us get weary. You're not, you're, it's not that you're saying, I want, oh, I want to forget about the things of God, but we just get weary. 
we're not tired of the work of the Lord, but we can get tired in the work of the Lord. We're not tired as a Christian serving the Lord, but we can get tired in the service because of our flesh. So when we're looking at this, we're told not to be unmovable. Stand steadfast, brother, sister. Stand steadfast because sometimes we think, is it all worth it? No matter what even ministry you look, you go to. It could be children's ministry. It could be um, worship ministry. It could be any ministry, pastoral ministry. It could be anything. And you say, is it all worth it? It could be preaching ministry. And at the end of it all, when you, when you look at it, Paul says, be steadfast. You're already victorious. You're tired in your flesh. You're tired in who you are. Oh, but you're victorious in Christ. He owns you. He has bought you with his blood and you're not your own. You belong to him. Be unmovable, he says, always, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Keep going, he says, keep on abounding, keep pressing on, keep pushing through for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So here we have, the, and back to Romans chapter 8, that the spirit who dwells in you, if you die in Christ, and that veil of death, listen, folks, I know maybe all of us or most of us have watched someone pass away. But we haven't really been in that position ourselves yet. But one day it will come, should Christ tarry. It's a, you can be 100% assured of that. And we always think, well, it's someone else, somewhere else, and something different. But when it comes and we close our eyes and pass through the veil, the assurance of knowing that you belong to Christ is what will matter at that moment. It's the assurance in your heart that you are his. Not am I saved or am I lost? Have I made it or have I not? Have I done enough? No. It's who Christ is completely and who you are in him. That's what's going to count. So he will raise us up. Here is resurrection. He'll quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. But if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. In other words, you will receive the first resurrection. The second death, you'll find it in Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation 20, let's go to it just for the sake of reading it so as we have it in our spirit this morning. Revelation chapter 20. Now, we'll skip down this for there's too much to read this morning. But notice. Let's go to verse uh, 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads, nor in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Christ has returned and the ministry of the Spirit is that you're either resurrected or you're living when he comes and you're changed. So the ministry of the Spirit here is bringing you into the kingdom now. Notice this. 
but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. That is the resurrection you'll be in as a believer. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of prison and shall go out to deceive the nations. So without reading on down here, Christ has come, we're changed, we're an overcoming body, we're ruling and reigning with Christ in the kingdom. Satan is bound for a thousand years. He's then loosed and he starts causing havoc in the kingdom of God. Notice that. He's allowed to do this. Now notice this. Let's just go to verse 10. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Notice that. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. So, there's a first resurrection, a Christ returned in a second of the dead who are outside of Christ. The judgment and the second death at the lake of fire. So when Paul comes to Romans chapter 8, why am I linking this together? Notice, because too many Christians are on unaware. They're not, there's no assurance in their heart that they belong to Christ. You need to have an assurance that you belong to Christ. But here's the thing. When we realize we have an assurance that we belong to Christ, then we have uh, to do something with it. We have to do something with it. We have a responsibility to live with it. So here we have salvation in verse 3. Salvation was from God. Christ paid our debt. He kept the law. Then we have sanctification through the Spirit, where the, the Spirit brings us to Christ. Now the Spirit lives in us and causes us to walk right. Now resurrection, the Spirit raising us from the dead. Now if you look at verse 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And the term there is, for as many as are being constantly and consistently led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. In other words, they are that. Remember the two names, Huias and Technon. The Huias is the grown-up son. The Technon is the born son, the young, immature son. So in other words, now we're going to look at the ministry of the Spirit in Christian life and living to cause us to grow in Christ, to grow up into all Christ has done for us, all that Christ wants us for and to do with us. So we're going to look at that for a moment. Notice, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, the grown-up ones of God, the, the huias. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And I see the word cry. 
we cry, Abba, Father. The word cry means that we cry, shout, scream aloud. That's the idea of it. Abba. It means daddy. Speaks of closeness. It speaks of relationship. It speaks of knowing the one whom loves you and cares. Abba. Father. Reverence. Respect for who he is. So we have the spirit then causes us to cry out for our father. Notice this. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Then the Holy Ghost quickens our hearts, sanctifies it, and now he enables us to know that we're all right with our God. He enables us to know that we are, are all right with God. Notice, and if children then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now here's glorification. The glorification reverts back to the resurrection. Raised from the dead, glorification is the changing of the body. Glorified to root and reign with Christ. So the glorification doesn't mean that we deserve. Our glorification is what's known as a reflective glory. For example, when Moses was up the mount, and he was speaking to God up the mount. He came down, and he covered his face with a veil because it says that the skin of his face shone, and he wist not. He didn't realize it. And it was a reflective glory of the glory of God standing in the presence of God. A reflective glory was resting upon Moses. And here the idea is that you and I will have a reflective glory of Christ. The glory's all his, but he places it upon us. He alone deserves the glory. But his reflective glory will be upon all of us. Then he says, for I reckon. The word reckon means I add up, I place together, and I put it in scales the way. Simple as that. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, what's God's God's for you? This world has nothing, no hold on that. There's nothing that this world has that can match what Christ has for you. Notice, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Again, this speaks of resurrection and glorification. Now, I know there are people who would take this and say, well, that means that we should be the church out now and doing things, and we should be. And, and manifesting God's power and glory, and we should be. But ultimately, this is speaking of resurrection and glorification at the coming of Christ. And at that, the world will see as we are caught up and changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, and we have received our garment of light, that glorification, the reflective garment from Christ. When our bodies that are corruptible become incorruptible and mortal put on immortality, whenever we come back to root and reign with him, this world is going to be filled with people who are in flesh bodies. And we will rule over the nations with Christ for a thousand years. For a thousand years. So notice this. The manifestation of the sons of God is the wheels of God, the sons, the grown-up ones, those who know their authority in him. 
And then it speaks about the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. In other words, what is said in the next few verses is that the earth was brought under the curse because, not of itself, but because of Adam. And listen, because of the will of God. In other words, the sovereignty of God, that God would take his people out of it, that he would be glorified in it. Now, the whole earth in verse 22, the whole creation that is groaneth and travail and pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. Now, notice here what he's saying. He's saying that the glorification hasn't come yet. Our spirits are groaning. Listen, whenever you get up in the morning, as I said, I've been plagued this while back with sciatic, and it comes and goes, and one minute I'm all right, next thing I'm, people think I'm being holy and near falling on my knees. You know, it just goes, but I'm not, that's just <laughs> touch sciatic. It drives me nuts sometimes. But whenever we are looking at this, I get up in the morning, and I'm like, oh, there's that thing again. It's groaning. Lord, would you come back? Would you change this? I know God's the power to do it now. But ultimately is the change at the glorification of his return. And that's what the, the apostle's telling us here. The first fruits of the Spirit, even within ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of the body. To be changed that there be no more sickness. If you spend time going around the cancer wards. Cause you to pray. If you spend time going around some of those hospital wards, it would cause you to get on your knees and pray. The idea here is verse 19, the earnest expectation of the creature. Let me give you an idea, a visual of what it means. Okay, see if I can do it. It means up and away from to take your head almost off, to stretch out. So what you should be doing is like this. It's not that we all to walk like this. This is metaphorically speaking. <laughs> to stretch out the neck. That's what it means. You're stretching out the neck and you're, Lord, will you please come soon? And the body's going and the spirit within you is going, Christ is coming soon. You're seeing the things going on in the world. You're seeing the devastations going on in the world. You're seeing the wickedness in the world. You're seeing the, even the judgment, the way some of our, our nations are being run now and our nation's being run. You see the wickedness and power and you see the uh, volcanic eruptions and all the things that are happening as tsunamis and earthquakes and, and diseases and different bugs we've never heard of before and, and people with famines and we kids dying and starving and agony and all this thing. You see people with wickedness in their heart it's like us in the days of Noah. And the more we see it, the more we read it in the Word, and we see it, the Spirit in us, the Spirit of God in us goes, causes us to look. It means to stretches you out. Jesus, come soon. Jesus, come soon. Jesus, will you come soon? That's the idea of it. Earnestly, we are expecting you. 
Will you come soon? That's what the apostle's telling us here. That's the ministry of the Spirit in your heart. Christ would come soon. I wonder how many of us pray that when we pray. Lord, would you come back? I wonder how many Christians really pray that. So here we have the glorification. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, how many of us when we're feeling at our worst? How many of us when we're feeling at our lowest ebb? I'm way, way inside. You can't even muster a prayer. But your thought suddenly goes, Jesus, help me. Jesus. The Spirit is in you to intercede. The Spirit knows the mind of God and will for your life. And in the middle of everything, your worst of times and your weakest moments, you can't even lift a prayer, but suddenly you turn to him. That's the ministry of the Spirit groaning inside you. Jesus. Jesus, come again. This world is corrupt. Come again. This life is plagued with sicknesses and diseases. The Spirit's groaning in you. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we become hardened to the things that are around us. We become so worldly wise and our minds become seared to the Word of God. And no longer is the Spirit breaking through in us to say, Jesus, come. No longer is the Spirit groaning. He's groaning. But we're moaning. He's groaning, but he's telling us what we need to do or what we need to do, where we need to go. He needs, he's telling us that everything will be okay. And he's telling us this, that, and the other, but we're locking him in. Or maybe even we have what the Bible terms as has a, we have a fat heart. In other words, our heart has been en, encompassed with, with fat. Spiritual fat. And he no longer can speak to the Spirit. We've, we've insulated ourselves. We've insulated ourselves with how we feel. And we have insulated ourselves with what we like. We've insulated ourselves with everything but what God has placed in us. We need to get back to the place where the Spirit starts groaning in us and causing us to stretch ourselves out in faith looking for Christ. For he'll bring us into the will of God. We talk about all the time what is the will of God for my life? 
if we become more pliable to the Holy Spirit, if we, if I can put it in brackets, allow, forgive me, Lord, I'm not taking away, trying to take his sovereignty for I can't. But if we allow, as it were, or yield ourselves, may be a better word, to what he tells us, to where he's leading us, he'll lead us into truth and he'll lead us into the will of God. You can't miss it. Sometimes when the Lord's leading us into his will, we go, no, that's for somebody else. That's not me. I'm not like that. That's somebody else. So, verse 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And I see this, and we know do we? Talk to myself here. Ken, do you? All things? In other words, in all things, God can work together and will work together for your good. He has your good. He has your back. He's for you and not against you. And we know that all things work together are good to them that love God. The idea again is continually loving God. To them who are the called, now we're getting somewhere according to his purpose. So now we have to ask, am I the called? Are you called? I'm not saying you're called to preach, you're called to sing. I'm saying, are you the called to salvation? This is an effectual calling in the, the body of Christ. Now we get into somewhere for the next few moments and we'll wrap this up. Notice, for whom he did foreknow. See the word foreknow? It's a word prognosco. I think that's how you pronounce it, but it's where we get our, our word prognosis from. In other words, in eternity before the earth was even made, God gave the prognosis. He knew the outcome. It's like if you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you, oh, you have this sickness and this is how it goes. They know the outcome. In other words, God knew the prognosis for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate. Now, the word pre means before, and destinate, destinate means, gives the idea of land, area, or boundary. It comes from a word prorizio, and it comes from a, that comes from the word horizo. I think that's how you pronounce it, but it's where we get the word horizon from. Like you look along a horizon, you see the straight line where the sky meets the sea, say. And you see the straight line, and that is the boundary mark. We know when we get there, there is no boundary, but that's the idea of it. And the idea here is those who God knew, and he had a prognosis on them, you're going to be like my son. That man there lying in the shebeen, full of drink and drugs, going to be like your son. That prostitute over there, that woman at a well five times, Married five times. Going to be like your son. He knew the prognosis of it. For whom he foreknew, he did predestine. So beforehand, he set out boundaries. And the boundary is that he has making them to be more like his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. The word conform means to be changed from the inside out here. It can mean different things now in Scripture, but here it means God wants to change you from the inside out. And the word image is the word econ, 
where we get our word icon from. For example, Matthew 22, when the Lord had the coin, he says to Peter, whose image and superscription is, a, is this? And they said, Caesar's. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And it's the same word here. Image, icon, carved out. They knew it was Caesar because he was carved into metal. Seen his face, they knew who it was. We take our pound coin out and we see the queen's head on. We knew that's Queen Elizabeth II. So in other words, from the inside out, God is making you. You are his, you're bought. He knew you from before the foundation of the world and he's changing you to be like Jesus every day. And how does he do that? Well, then you go back again to verses 9 and 10, sanctification. He sanctifies you every day. So for whom we foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, that is Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. So this is the culmination of things. We had uh, the revelation there of the spirit. We had the glorification. We had the resurrection. We had salvation. Now we have the culmination. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. Now we have to stop here for a moment because if he has predestinated us to be like his son, and he has called us, and he has justified us, and he has done it all by saving us and keeping us, and the ministry of his spirit is within us, and he's causing us to grow from the inside out to be like Jesus, then what makes you think that he won't love you? What makes you think that he'll let you go? And when death comes, should death come and Christ tarry, what makes you think that when you close your eyes in death and the spirit of return, that God gave returns to God that gave it, what makes you think that he will forget you? Even your body. Notice this. Turn to John 6. We're almost finished. John chapter 6. And let your eye run down, please, to verse 44. Listen to what the master says. This is the words of Christ. He says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Let's read it again. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day in other words the ministry of the spirit is to bring you to Christ to reconcile you to the father but now let me break this down notice no man can come to me you can write there total depravity total depravity no man can come to me it's completely impossible totally impossible for you to come to Christ without the Spirit's ministry. No man can come to me, total depravity, except the Father. In other words, the Father's unconditional love and unconditional election. It has to be through the Father. No man can come to me, total depravity, except the Father, unconditional election which hath sent me, draw him. Except the Father who has sent Jesus, 
draw you and I through his spirit. That is irresistible grace. In other words, he, he, he works on us and he works. He doesn't save you against your will. God will never save a man against his will or a woman against her will. He makes you willing to be saved. In other words, his spirit works in you in grace and love, showing you Christ. And you receive Christ, so you're his. And he is doing all of this. It's everything is to do with him. doesn't matter who you are or what you are. The Father which sent me, draw him, irresistible grace. And I will raise him up. This is what's known as limited atonement. Christ came for those whom the Father hath given. I'll raise him up whom the Father gives me. Notice, at the last day. Here is, he will keep us. Here's perseverance of the saints. He keeps us till the last day. Go to Ephesians chapter one, please. I know this has been more a Bible study this morning, but this is what keeps you, brothers and sisters, knowing the word of God and whom you are in Christ. I would advise you to read the chapter. You see God at work in his predestinating and then read right down to verse 13. Speaking of Jesus, in whom ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. When you say sealed, sealed, Will you say it again? Sealed. Will you say, I am sealed? I am sealed. Now, will you say, I am sealed with the Holy Spirit? I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the word here for sealed, it, it means confirmed. You go to denominations, and they, some denominations confirm you. A man confirms you to break bread or, or to take communion, as they would call it. A man confirms you. Here the Bible tells us we're confirmed by the Holy Ghost when we believe. No confirmation of a man but by the Holy Ghost. In other words, he seems us like you fold a letter, you lick it, you stick it on, and you were to get a big stamp of wax and you've sent it out. And it didn't, wasn't opened until that letter arrived. The king had stamped it. And it, didn't, it wasn't opened until it arrived at its destination. And the seal could not be broken. That's the idea of this. And confirmation is the Holy Ghost confirms you with the spirit of promise. Where's the promise? Tarry in Jerusalem. And tell you be endued with power from on high. And wait for the promise of the Father, Jesus said. This is the Holy Ghost that would be poured out. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. They all be on to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the promise of the Father. And what's the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory? So now, when we look at this, you're justified by him. You're glorified in him. We'll read this out. And you ask yourself, am I assured in Christ? Am I secure in Christ? Paul says, verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, see the word if, by the way. The word if doesn't mean if he is or if he isn't. It's the word 
since God is for us. That's what it means. It means since he's for us. If God be for us, who then could be against us? He that spurred not his own son, his own weights, growing up one and unique only son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Are you reading that in your Bible? Yes? You're reading that in your Bible. God has a choice. You're it. God has an elect. God has a choice and you are it. What about others? Leave it with God. It is God that justifieth. We don't need to try and excuse him. Who is he that condemneth? Is it Christ that died? Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who maketh intercession for us? Notice, Christ can't condemn you. Do you know why? And I say that with reverence to the Savior. He cannot condemn you simply because he's making intercession for you. So he can't make intercession for you one hand and then condemn you in the next because he's not double-minded. It's as if people think, oh, Christ is condemning me now, but he's praying for me yesterday. I failed him today, so he's now condemning me. No, he is making intercession that you will make it, like he said to Peter, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Peter failed in his strength and in his courage, but his faith was still in Christ. And the Lord was praying for him. That's how Peter made it. The only reason, the only way any man or woman will make it to glory is through the prayers of Christ and his doing dying. So there's no condemnation for you. Then he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sore? Nay, as it is written, for thy sakes we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. He knows, first of all, we, and now we know that all things. Now he says, I am persuaded. There's where we need to get our hearts and fixed in Christ. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, that's the ministry of the Spirit for Christian life and living. The ministry of the Spirit in the baptism of the Holy Ghost We've thought about that. And you know, I'm a Pentecostal. I believe all that. Experienced that. But this is for generally life and living. The Holy Ghost will change your life. Holy Ghost changes your life. God bless his word to us.